0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the BYU Pre-Med Podcast, hosted by myself, Kai Anderson, where we will discuss everything you need to know to become a well-rounded, well-prepared medical school applicant. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about med school applications and all the nitty-gritty details that go into applying for med school. And so hopefully this is able to answer lots of your questions about this huge, looming overwhelming process of applying to med school. And so first off, I just like to make a disclaimer, I'm going to be talking mostly about applying through AMCAS. And that's the program used for most med schools in America. There are other programs for schools in Texas, and also DO schools have their own thing. And I'll make a couple references to those here and there and some of the the major changes in those. But most I'm just going to be talking about AMCAS. And so with all of these different programs, med schools admissions is rolling admissions. And so what this means is that med schools are constantly accepting people into their school throughout the application process. And so how this applies to us is that we want to get a recommendation or we want to get our application in as soon as we possibly can, as soon as that opens, because then it gives us more opportunities to fill open seats. And it also means we're going to be on the table for longer as well to be able to be looked at because these schools are, the acceptance rates are not high at all at any school. And so the sooner you can apply to them, the better. Okay. So now that that's out of the way, let's talk about what's on the application. And I'm not going to address everything here, but mostly just the topics that people have a lot of questions about, the ones that are going to require the most amount of work and ones that you can get started on right away. And so the first thing I want to talk about is your personal statement. And so this is a statement about basically why medicine. We've talked a lot about figuring out what your why is in the past on this podcast. And if you want to learn more about that, check out some of the first episodes on that. But our personal statement is where we're going to put this into words. And for this personal statement, you get 5,300 characters. That's not words. That's sets characters. And I'm going to be doing an episode later on about how to write a good personal statement. but just know that it's something that you're going to be want to work on for a long time. It's going to take lots of edits, lots of going back through it and changing it. Have other people look at it, but try to keep it in your own voice as well. And this is going to take a lot of fine tuning to get your perfect personal statement. Okay, so along with the personal statement, the other thing that's going to require the most amount of writing is the activity section. And there's they want you to include up to 15 activities. That doesn't mean you have to include all 15, but most schools will say competitive applicants will include, you know, at least nine or 10. And so somewhere between the range of 10 to 15, and we don't want to be filling them with lots of silly things, but we want them to be able to get a good sense of what we've done and who we are as a person. And so all these activities are going to fit into different categories, and there's tons of different categories, but just a couple examples of categories are things like volunteer medical, volunteer non-medical. Um, you can include jobs that you've had. So there's paid medical, paid non-medical. There's categories about um, social justice work. There's categories for talents and awards, um, academics, and lots of other categories too. And it you'll see pretty easily how your cate- how your activities will fit into those. And lots of times, it might fit into a couple of different categories. And so then you have the choice to say, okay, I already have three activities in this section, so I'm going to include this in here rather than there. Um, One of the categories that causes lots of people issues is there's a category for leadership, and you probably don't have something that's just strictly leadership that doesn't fit into any of the other categories. That's okay. You don't need to include a separate activity specifically for leadership. You can if you want, but it's also totally okay just to write about your leadership responsibilities if you include it in another category. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Okay. So with each activity, um, for most categories, you're going to be asked for a reference to someone that you, you know, worked for or something like that. And those are very rarely checked, though. It's just basically to make it seem a little bit more legit. And then you're going to get 700 characters per activity to write about what you did and how it changed you. And the most important thing there is about how it changed you. For instance, they know what a teaching assistant does, okay? They they have tons of people that apply as a teaching assistant. You don't want to spend 600 of your 700 characters talking about what you did as a teaching assistant. You want to talk about how that experience was meaningful for you, okay? So you get 700 characters for all 15, and then of those 15 activities, you're going to choose three that are your most meaningful activities. And with those most meaningful activities, you get an extra 1,325 characters after your 700. So write something succinct that fits together in 700 characters, and then you're going to write an extra thing about it, not repeating what you said in your 700, but additional information, possibly a story in there about why that was so meaningful to you, that experience. So just to recap, you have 15 activities, each with 700 characters, then you're going to choose three of your most meaningful, and those ones get an extra 1325 characters. Okay, so after activities, um, another thing that schools are going to want is transcripts. And with transcripts, you're going to need to get an official one from BYU or whatever school you're going to. And you're also going to need to track down high school transcripts if you took any dual enrollment courses. So a note on this for transcripts is that med schools all require different classes that you take. So I would highly recommend, especially if you're in your first year first couple of years of university that you go and find some med schools that you're thinking about applying to and see if there's any weird courses that they want you to take that you're not planning on taking. And then you might make the decision, I don't actually want to go to that school or I'm going to take that course in order to go to that school. Just an example would be like I was applying to the, well, I was looking at the application process for the University of British Columbia and they wanted me to take a second writing course. And I found out that my science writing course did not count for that. And so if I would have applied to that school, I would have been immediately rejected. And it just would have been wasted time and money because I didn't take one of the required prereqs for that university. For some of these prereqs, you're allowed to take them after you applied. So you can make mention that like you were going to take this, this class, in the fall semester after your application. Okay, so you don't have to do them before you've applied necessarily, but it it will be helpful. So like I said, yeah, do some research on some schools, figure out what courses you need to take and make sure you're going to be taking those courses. Okay, so the last few things about the application that lots of people have questions about are letters of recommendation and including your MCAT score. So for letters of recommendation, we talked about We talked about wanting to get our application in as soon as possible, and let's just talk about dates for a second. So most of the time, applications open up at the end of April, beginning of May for you to start working on your application. Then you will submit your application at the end of May. It changes every year. It's usually around like May 29th to June 2nd-ish. Sometime in there, you're going to submit your application. However, you do not need to include your letters of recommendation and you do not need to include your MCAT score with that initial application that you send in. These will all be processed by the end of June, okay? So there's another month break there. When they're processed, we still technically don't need our letters of recommendation by then. We will want our MCAT score and something called a CASPER preview score by then. And I'll talk a little bit more about those in a second. But it's not until... We're looking at secondaries that's when we're going to be sending schools our letters of recommendation and so don't stress too much about trying to get your secondaries in really quickly i mean don't trying to get your letters of recommendation in really quickly because you won't need them as soon as you apply so continue to work on those relationships it's definitely great to ask people ahead of time we've talked about this with letters of recommendation and in our episode on letters of recommendation But like I said, don't stress too much about it because you have some extra time there. So like I said, MCAT score and then our score, preview score, we're going to want to include by the end of June there. So just some information about the MCAT real quick and uh, applying with it. So if we want to take our MCAT in that window so we can apply as soon as we can, then we need to be registering for the MCAT, usually around the end of October. That's usually when the application opens. And the way this works is you're gonna basically get on their website, get on the MCAT's website where the MCAT registration is, and you're gonna be in a queue of like thousands of people who are all trying to register to take the MCAT. Then when it opens, you'll be given a random spot in the queue. You'll then select a date. And so at the end of October, dates are open for January through June. You will not wanna take the MCAT any later then the middle of June, if you want to be able to get your MCAT score into schools by the end of June. So most people take it sometime between you know the end of classes, end of April to beginning of June in that window there. Then if you if you're not feeling like you're going, wanting to apply or you're not going to be ready to apply by that um, by the opening day of applications, then in February there'll be another application or another registration opening where you'll register for dates in July and August. But I would highly recommend getting on there in October. I think for me, it was October 22nd. I think it's different each year when it's going to open, but figuring out when that is and then getting on there and finding a date that you can have your MCAT score processed before the end of June. And the reason we're giving a couple weeks there is because usually it does take a couple weeks to process your, your MCAT score. Okay. A couple other notes on the MCAT is you can take the MCAT multiple times. So if you were thinking you might want to take it more than once, maybe it would be good to sign up for a date earlier, and then you can sign up for a later one as well um, after after you've got your score back. But with taking it multiple times, you can only take it up to three times in one calendar year and four times across two calendar years. And Overall, you can't take it more than seven times, although I can't see why anybody would ever want to take the MCAT more than even twice. Okay, so along with the MCAT, I also mentioned Casper and Preview. And if you haven't heard about these, don't stress about it. They're really not a big deal, but they're basically just an ethical test that you have to take to determine basically that you're not a psychopath. Don't stress about these. Um, I would definitely recommend taking like one practice test before go, before registering or before actually taking it, um, but this is another one that you're going to have to register for, and and then go take. It's pretty cheap. I think it costs like twenty bucks or something to apply to that one. It's much cheaper than the MCAT, and schools aren't going to look at it very much. And they, like I said, they don't need to be included until end of June. And so that's something that I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, get too stressed out about. Just deal with it when you have to get it done with, so you can include it on your application. Okay, so that's all I'm gonna talk about for primary applications. But once you've sent in your primary application, they've been processed, you're gonna start getting secondary applications from schools. And so at this point, you might get, be getting really excited because you're getting a ton of different secondaries. And while it is really exciting, don't get too excited about this because most schools are just gonna send you a secondary anyway. Because it means you have to pay them more money. You're going to have to pay to send them your secondary. And so they're like, great, he sent us a primary. He's interested in coming to our school. Let's request a secondary for him. So he pays us for that as well. And what secondaries are is they're usually made up of about three to five essays that essay prompts that you're going to have to write. And they're typically a little bit more specific to the school. For instance, they're going to be asking, like, why would you want to live in our state? Or just other questions that they are concerned about, that that school is concerned about. So with these secondary essays, you should have a turnaround time of no more than a couple of weeks um, to get those secondaries back to them in order to give you the best chance of getting in. If you're taking forever to get them back your secondaries, then you're just falling behind everyone else who's getting them in earlier. So this probably sounds really overwhelming because if let's say you apply to 30 schools and you get back, let's say 25, you're going to have to write 25 secondary essays or secondaries. And each one of those has three to five essays on it. That's like 75 essays that you're going to be having to rewrite, you know, while lots of those will be the same, it's still going to be a crazy amount of essay writing to do in that short of time. And so, in order to make this possible, it's really important that you pre write some secondaries. And you might be asking, well, how can I do that? The best way is to look up secondary prompts from the schools that you're applying to. And usually they don't change too much year by year. And like I said, there's a lot of similarities between schools. So you can at least get some things down on paper that you can then, you know, edit and tweak depending on the question that you're being asked. And that'll make that process much easier. I've talked to people who haven't done this and they said that it was by far the worst time of the application process was trying to write all those secondaries um, in such a short amount of time. Okay, so after you've sent in your secondaries, you'll, you'll start to hear back from schools if you, there if it's a positive review of your sec of your essays and of your primary application and you'll start to hear back about interviews most interviews will happen between usually about october sometimes september and march of the next year occasionally it'll be a little later than that if you're not hearing back from the school by then though it's very likely that you're just not getting into that school i'm not going to go into interviews much here because i'm going to do an episode later on about interviewing And so we're just going to keep it there for primary, secondaries, and interviews. And so I hope this has been really helpful with trying to answer some of those questions about what is on the primary application, what is on the secondary application, when it needs to be in, signing up for exams, what all needs to be included. And just the last thing I want to touch on real quick, and I I already briefly mentioned this, but please 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 make sure that you meet all the requirements to the schools that you're applying to for instance as a canadian before i got my green card there were tons of schools in america that wouldn't accept me because i wasn't a a citizen or permanent resident and so there's lots of other examples of this like for example there's lots of state-sponsored schools that only accept residents from that state so like tons of schools in california lots of people will apply to who aren't residents of California and their application isn't even going to get looked at because that school literally only takes California residents. There's other examples as well. There's a couple schools in North and South Carolina that I saw that were like that. I think there's a couple in Nevada. So just make sure that you can actually, that you actually meet the requirements for applying to that school. I mentioned earlier, make sure that you have the required prereqs as well. So just go through everything. Most Med schools have a website where you can look at the admissions and what the requirements are and just make sure you meet all those requirements. And if you don't, just don't apply to the school because you literally have no chance of getting in. It's just gonna be a waste of money. Um, On the note of state-sponsored schools and applying in-state versus out-of-state, just lastly, I'd say that most all schools, except for some private ones and other schools as well, um, but most of them have a very high preference towards in-state applicants. And so, if you are a resident in, let's say, Oregon, you have a very high, you have much higher chance of getting into school in Oregon than someone applying to that school who is not a resident from Oregon. So they're going to accept tons of people from from in state, and then you know just a few from out of state. So make sure you're applying to schools that are from your state of residence as well. That will be really helpful. For uh, the few of the states that do not have Med schools, I know they usually have partnerships with other med schools in different states and so you can look into that as well. For instance, I'm pretty sure Montana and Wyoming, either of those have a med school, but they get in-state tuition and an in-state preference at the University of Washington. So there are examples like that where there are loopholes and I guess equalizers. So that's all I'd like to talk about with the nitty-gritty of applying to med schools. I hope it's answered your questions, and if you have any more, just send me a message on the Cougar Pre-Med Instagram account, and I can get around to answering those on an, on a later episode. Thanks for joining.